So I, I thought it would be funny if as a as an opener before mm-hmm. the credits that we did our impressions of Morgan Fairchild saying Murphy's name when she comes into the Kelly Green set. Murphy Brown. It cracks me up every time because she keeps it repeating is. it. Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown. I'm sorry that I filled your car with herring. I got your letter of apology, Kelly. Now I'm sorry I filled your car with herring. And then she's like, now I'm sorry I filled your car with herring. Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown. Brown. Oh, that was too much. I gave it too much. Murphy Brown. (laughs) Murphy Brown. Let's just start. (laughs) Ready graphics? Ready theme? Good evening. Where are your information today? Because of the shock spiel. Bravo, Candace Bergen. Oh, the hijinks. Where? How, how dare they? <laughs> Those monsters. The Temple of Doom is that way, Frank. It's like the dartboard's back. I've never not seen Jim stand up straight before. She's a nut. She's a scamp. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about Season 2, Episode 4, TV or Not TV. Hi, this is Lauren. And this is Jesse. And today's episode was directed by... Can you guess it, guys? Barnett Kelman. Barnett Kelman. Barnett Kelman. You've heard of him. You've heard his voice. You have. You should go He's back and listen to our interviews and episodes and chats with Barnett. It was awesome. He the best. Um, I have to say, I'm I'm particularly excited to talk about this episode solely because I'm in you know grad school land, and the the play of the name of this episode makes me really happy. <laughs> Kelly Green. Kelly Green. <laughs> Kelly Green. I actually meant the TV or not TV. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> because of the shock Jesse, why don't you use your expensive pre-education <laughs> to tell us what this is a reference to? Well, everyone, there's a really little known Shakespearean line from Hamlet that is to be or not to be. And I could go into the rest of the monologue, but I'm not going to do it, do that to any of you. However, this is obviously a play on TV or not TV. Yes, and actually I found out in my uh, Google searching that there are several episodes of television series with this title. There is an episode of The Honeymooners, The Andy Griffith Show, Sanford and Son, and most recently, The Middle, which we know a few people who wrote for The Middle who also wrote for Murphy Brown, Corby and Russ, so that's cool. That's really fun. I didn't know that... I mean, it makes sense. It's a pretty clever pull for a pun that is uh, widely known. Yeah, and there's one from almost every decade, really. That's cool. Well, now we're due. Yeah. So this episode aired October 16th, 1989. And we have a new name. As a writer, we have Craig Hoffman. Welcome, Craig, to the family of the FYI podcast. Yes. Hello, Craig. And Craig was nice enough to send us a really amazing email, which we're going to go through some really cool details about mm-hmm. the episode from Craig. Uh, you can also find him on Twitter. He's at CM, as in Mary Hoffman. So we all knew that Craig was freelance for this episode and in a second episode. But he sent this really amazing story as to how he started on Murphy Brown. He was not technically a writer at the time. And this was all encouragement from Diane. He was the associate director of publicity for CBS. In fact, something I have to read at the beginning of his email, he apologizes for it being too long, which, of course, for us is never too long. Never. But he said it gives you an idea of how special Diane English and the gang were and are. Mm. So he started off meeting Diane through Foley Square, but he was actually out of New York. 
But he came to L.A. to work on Foley Square, which is where he got to know Diane really well, so that when Murphy Brown came up, he's very excited to work on it. And particularly, sort of serendipitously, CBS asked him to relocate to L.A., he would write memos to the gang um, about, you know, Newsweek or things that were coming up, maybe in the style of Hemingway. So, he, so Diane could see that he was very creative, but he just wasn't very happy and he was looking to leave. And Diane found out that he was looking at other jobs and she was like, we have to meet, we have to have lunch. And oh. at the lunch, she said, have you ever thought of being a writer? And he had ideas for the show, but he felt, oh, no one wants to hear that from the head of publicity. They're getting pitched all the time. You know, we all feel that way. And so, of course, it was perfect because she said, you have any ideas? And he went, well, actually, I do have this idea, which we'll get more into when we get to the crux of the episode, because it'll make more sense to everybody where Craig Mm -hmm. got the idea for the Kelly Green episode, which is blew my mind. And I didn't know why I didn't think of it. So I'm going to leave it at that. And then we're going to come back to Craig. Oh, just to give you an idea, because we do start out with people's bios. I asked Craig for a bio. He wrote, Craig Hoffman is a writer. TV or not TV was his first episode. He went on to write The Wonder Years, Dream On, Evening Shade, and Family Guy, including the one with the cutaway where the entire FYI team voiced the cartoon versions of themselves. Yay, we love that one. Of course he did. I don't know yeah. why that didn't dawn on me when I saw he had written for Family Guy. Right? I can't. I'm actually a little horrified since we have that picture in the show notes of the episode we talked about. I know. I was like, oh, put two and two together. So that's a really great piece of little trivia information that I love that we can share with you guys. Is Craig really the Kevin Bacon of Hollywood? (laughs) Really. (laughs) Now, real quick, also, this is the first time where we actually don't know who wrote the song. Yeah. We tried. We really tried. We emailed Diane and Steve and Corby helped out and Corby got in producer Deborah Smith and no one could remember. Now, uh, now everyone, including myself, are in the consensus that the music itself was most likely written by Steve Dorff. Yeah. Who did all the music from Riff which we have talked about in the past mm-hmm. and actually did the music for the revival as well. But the lyrics were not quite sure. Craig even himself doesn't remember if he wrote it. No one in the room remembers if they wrote it. Now, usually we wouldn't like to speak out of turn to say who wrote what in the room. But since no one remembers, I think it's okay. Yeah. Uh, but mostly I think that it's a great thing to point out to our listeners, since we did really try to find out, my assumption had been that it was written separately, not that it was something written in the writer's room. Otherwise, I wouldn't have tried to find out. But I think it's also a testament to when you work together as a team, as a collective, as everyone Mm -hmm. does, there's really no ego involved. And you don't remember who wrote what joke most of the time. Yeah, that's the thing that makes this, this production and this writer's room incredibly special and the thing that people still talk about was that the collaboration was at the top level and everyone's just proud of the product exactly so if people aren't aware the reason we don't know then the reason we don't know who wrote the song is because it is a new song and it is a fake opening theme song as if murphy was actually a classic 80s corny sitcom it it's it does it does achieve <laughs> should we uh should we read the lyrics do you want to read the oh. lyrics Yes. Jesse, do you want to read these fantastic lyrics to the fake Murphy theme song? Oh, team, would I? Let's go, gang. Okay. Who's that gal? You think you know her. She's a real live wire, and she'll always go her own way. She's a nut. She's a scamp. She's a big newscaster. If you need a friend, just go on and ask her today. Yes, it's Murphy, 
Murphy, Murphy Brown, the lady's a tramp, the lady's a clown. There's no one else in the whole darn town who can make you laugh when you feel down. Like Murphy, 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 Murphy Brown. And for copyright issues, we're not trying to sing it. Nope. <laughs> if you Google yes. enough, you can probably find it. Oh, definitely. And maybe on our, our social media. Uh, so, yeah. So we have Murphy comes off the elevator. Now, I love that she's in the red outfit because it's such a great little nod to this is from the pilot. Mm-hmm. If it was part of the theme song. And Murphy has all of these big tapes in her hand. And of course, she trips. And then we freeze oh. frame on her name. Candace Perkins. <laughs> there's so many small little subtle things about this opening that I absolutely adore Uh, then we're in the bullpen and and Murphy's hiding behind a plant by the elevator (laughs) she jumps out and scares Jim and Corky and you know they have the visual of oh you scamp I just typed oh the hijinks (laughs) yes definitely yes that's the sub name for the song oh the hijinks hijinks. well I I wrote it's sort of the visual gag of oh you scamp because that's kind of the line that's pretty much said over it yep Mm -hmm. I I also really love at that moment when she startles the two of them (laughs) Charlie Kimbrough's very like I've done Broadway over exaggerated like forehead wipe and duh little fake laugh like oh you he looks so young everyone's just oh you the whole time Oh, yeah. Everything. Oh, Murphy. <laughs> Corky and Jim are left just, oh, she's she's the best. Oh, she got us. And then at home, Murphy walks up behind Eldon, who's painting from the last episode that we saw. Yeah. Actually, him painting on the wall in the foyer. And Murphy comes up like a clown with a paint bucket container, I guess. But it's not filled with paint. She's going to throw it on him. But it's filled with confetti. Oh, Murphy. I feel like Robert Pastorelli has the most sort of awkward but fantastic look on his face because this is so not his genre. Nope. <laughs> I mean, everyone's, you know, doing a over-exaggerated version, but it, mm-hmm. for some reason with him, it just feels so wrong on his face. It's so, it's so wrong. It's right. <laughs> exactly. And then Murphy does a fake sort of laugh, which she sort of does in all of them. You can sort of barely see it in the other scene. Now, I should let you guys know, this episode is actually at the Paley Center in New York. Mm -hmm. So I was able to go and watch the entire episode. And there are some things, you know, that get sort of cut or, you know, cut off because of the sort of frame of it. And uh, I did notice that even with Corky and Jim, she's like doing the, oh, I'm so funny kind of a thing. Really overdone. Bravo, Candace Bergen. Then we're back in the bullpen. Uh, she sneaks up behind Miles and Frank as they're drinking and slaps them on the back and they do a spit take and they're cool with it. It's okay because she's Murphy. Oh, the hijinks oh, the you hijinks. will have. <laughs> and then uh, at the end, everyone except Phil, which I can only guess because since he's not in the episode, he's probably not getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> so they didn't have him come in just to do this opening. But in the mm-hmm. bullpen, everyone comes out from different areas and they put their arms around them and they look at the camera and Frank does a thumbs up. <laughs> it's so wonderfully terrible. It's like, so wonderfully it is, terrible. It is just tacky and I love it. <laughs> so apparently... According to Corby, they got letters from people who were very angry that they had changed the opening theme song. Uh. (laughs) But what I love is because it's not the next episode, I'm sure, aired quite soon. Right. I mean, we should check the date, but not it's October. It's not December. Yeah. So people were so livid 
They immediately wrote a letter. Exactly. And mailed like, it Like, they off. did not wait for the next one. They, they did They immediately not. mailed out that letter on Tuesday. Where? How, how dare they? <laughs> Those monsters. So they did not get the joke. <laughs> well, and the other thing is that it's not just... I could understand if they had a normal opening, a normal Murphy Brown opening visually with that music. I'd be a little, you know, big question mark. But the fact that the action in the montage is also out of character, but the rest of the episode is normal, it it kind of blows my mind that people didn't quite track that that was specifically for the episode. Me too. But I guess they're so <laughs> used to those kind of openings. Well, and also, I don't, I think now I'm used to shows kind of sometimes doing specialized openings per the style of the episode. I, you saw that a lot in Psych and a lot of other uh, mainstream shows. So... I could see that not being something that people would expect or assume is an option. But I, I just particularly love the inability to wait for the next week to confirm their hypothesis and that intense need to write an angry letter. <laughs> yes, they, they love Murphy Brown. It's, it's kind of the stagecoach equivalent of Twitter, really. <laughs> exactly. The stagecoach equivalent. <laughs> I'm going to go online and say, how dare Murphy Brown change this crazy opening? And then next week comes along and you go, oh, oops. You can't take that letter back. It's coming. Yeah. Or or, or they thought, you know what? They listened to they me. They did it. Oh, I really. Okay. I just. Right? Because most people don't realize how far ahead they're filming. Yeah. They could have thought, oh, my God, I, I made a difference. I want to give credit to the people who, in general, do not spend their time figuring out how production works and therefore just taking in the product and therefore I'm not going to hold it over them that they don't understand the production week but (laughs) they had already done it yeah and particularly back then like I think more because of the internet and uh, behind the scenes is such more of a big thing now I think more people are aware of it but some people aren't that hugely into television they don't really care to pay attention to it which is fine but they care enough to write a letter they do and we love them for it. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, at the end of this, my the thing I'm going to hold on to is that somebody loved this show so much that they had to write a letter of distress. And I appreciate that investment. Exactly. <laughs> so we go right into Murphy meeting her secretary in that classic, hi, I'm Murphy Brown. You must be my new secretary. And then the most 1990s thing <laughs> that has ever happened in the history of in the most 1990s sweater. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm getting to the sweater. Oh, good. Oh, good. I wrote, <laughs> a man in a fab, 1989-1991, green, yellow, little orange sweater. Uh, we should also note that he is an African-American gentleman because he begins to rap. Oh, it's specifically 1990s style pop rap. Yes. It's very like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, so much so. Style. It's not, we're, we're not looking like East Coast, West Coast rapping. We're talking sitcom rap. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's, it feels so much like a time capsule. This it secretary does. particularly. Oh. So he, yeah, he raps hello, pretty much, and who he is. And uh, Murphy is just so used to having crazy secretaries that make no sense whatsoever. She goes, okay, and just throws her newspaper down the desk and walks over to the coffee island. Miles joins the group, apologizes for being late. Uh, the network guys are in from L.A., and they got sidetracked talking about how death starts in the colon. <laughs> True. Oh, the stress. Frank wants the meeting to get underway because he has to get to the toxic waste dump before the wind shifts. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Hey, listen, Priorities. 
So now we're going to get our exposition from Miles, right? He's going yes. to explain that there is a, a new situation comedy the network is really high on, although I wrote in parentheses, in the fall, <laughs> right? Again. That's the only thing is, is they're, they're assuming that most people, again, don't know how television know. is made. And that, yep. and that happens a lot. I don't know how long between when she films the pilot that it ends up on television. Yeah, I, again, this is one of those things where it's for someone like us, we pause and have that question. But if the if the majority of viewers are pausing for that, then the show is doing something very wrong. <laughs> Although I just watched this documentary on Robin Williams just after I did this, this write up where apparently Mork and Mindy was put on the air because uh, Paramount owed ABC uh, or or ABC needed something. It was like some sort of contract thing with Paramount, and they had mm-hmm. a hole, and they needed to do something. And literally to pitch it as a pilot, uh, Gary Marshall edited together scenes of Mork from <laughs> from the Happy Days episode and yeah. sliced it with Pam Dauber in a failed show that she did. <laughs> and went and they went okay. So she had never met Robin Williams when it was announced that she was doing the show. So Great. maybe it's a contract thing, and they needed a show right away. And it's it's just sort of an awkwardness, and you know, yeah. Why not? Yeah. I'm into it. I'm buying it. Thank you. Okay, so I found that out. Yep. So we we figured it out. <laughs> we nailed it. Yeah, he's pretty much telling them that this is going to be a situation comedy about a news type show. Like FYI, as we're, we're implying. Now, cut from the syndicated is Frank pretty much talking about how it would be great to uh, have a story about a investigative reporter with a warm, vulnerable side. <laughs> of course, he means himself. Uh, but it's a woman. What? <laughs> uh, Murphy is a little skeptical. Well, Miles pretty much describes Murphy when she describes who this woman is going to be in this sitcom. To which Corky says, can they do that without my permission? I, oh, it's such good delivery. It's everyone's reaction to her as well, but it's so well said. Faith, you're amazing. Um, Also, her little cropped plaid jacket is amazing. And again, I could never wear it, but she looks so great. I just, I live for Miles' little like sweet pat on her shoulder as he just keeps talking after she says this, like, He's not, no one's going to shoot her down. Just going to pat Corky and keep going. Just let her live in her delusions. Yeah. Uh, but can, can I please read Jim's line in response to Miles talking about wanting the sitcom wanting to research? Oh, of course. I literally didn't even write it down. I assumed you would. Because he says that they need our help. And he goes, our help? <laughs> Sorry, Miles. We don't get involved with people who sit in a room all day and think up little stories about talking horses. Then he looks at Frank. What kind of job is that for grown up? Oh, the meta. <laughs> I know. I love, I'm such a fan of meta to begin with, but I love that they're making fun of themselves, the writers. <laughs> I know. It's so great. What kind of job is that for a grown up? And it's also a kind of a little bit of a reference to, you know, when Mr. Ed. <laughs> well, yes. No, it is definitely a reference to, to Mr. Ed. But I, I meant the way that Miles talks about this character before he gives away the name, because Murphy's. Mm-hmm. And Miles knows, too, that she's going to be very upset about this, that it's oh, yeah. most likely her. Mm-hmm. But he says that it's not based on anyone. It's it's uh, between anyone from Leslie Stahl to Sam Donaldson, which sounds a lot like, you know, obviously they said Mike Wallace in a dress, but still it's a uh-huh. nice little reference there, or Barbara Walters. And then Murphy asks the name of the character, because she's kind of getting the hint here. And Miles says, Kelly Green. To which she tries to chase Miles around the table because she's going to kill him. Because obviously Kelly Green is Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown. (laughs) Yes. Um, 
I also, this is the moment when I actually saw Murphy's full outfit. And I love her little split tunic that she's got going on. Mm -hmm. I want it. The necklace. I know it's not this, but it reminds me so much of this long necklace my mom has, has had my entire life, which is a bunch of acorns. But it's that great, like, long, kind of artsy, craftsy necklace that you wear with a nice outfit. And I, I'm living for her in this episode. No, she's got some really great outfits in this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Miles is assured that he doesn't like this. He believes that the news department is sacred, but he was overruled by the network and they gave them permission to come and study them. Uh, Corky is at first against it until she wants to know. Actually, I also really love this delivery from Faith because she's totally against it. But who's in it? Because that's really the the important part. And uh, with a lot of gravitas, uh, Grant is good at this. He does this a lot when he was introducing Murphy's name and, you know, the last uh, Mm. couple episodes is uh, the way he says that they've just gotten a deal with Julia St. Martin. You get a sense of like how big she must be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Grant is especially good at imbuing words with the expectation yeah like and with the history like he can do so much exposition in just the way he delivers a line which i think a lot of people take for <laughs> take for granted but I, i'm sorry, sorry. S- say that again what, what did you say there jesse uh they sometimes take him for granted Baboom chick Baboom chick um but it is like the way he says that you know the type of actress they're talking about yeah and, and then you get more specifics particularly yeah because then murph you know corky is really excited like her mouth is just like oh she's very excited uh murphy is not which gives another little (laughs) indication of the type of actress that the world sees julia st martin as frank seems a little you know not happy about it but then goes oh i love her (laughs) to which i went of course you do frank she's totally your type of course you do yeah uh now her name is a play on jill st john right or at least we think I think so. it is, yeah. That's my guess. So for those who might not know, Jill St. John is um, an actress who is best known for playing Tiffany Case from Diamonds Are Forever, the James Bond movie. Um, and I mean, her general fabulousness and her sultriness totally fits into the... And, and her career fits into the Julia St. Martin arch, arch, archetype that she is portraying. So I, that's what I think it is. Um, another randomly interesting thing that I found out about Jill St. John as I was reminding myself of her history, not only did she marry Robert Wagner and adopted uh, Natalie Woods and his children, she has an IQ of 162. Oh, goodness. So get it, Jill, which is actually, I think, ties into Morgan Fairchild's character in yeah. this episode, which is that hot babe actresses can be incredibly smart. And that's another reason why I think that she's supposed to be Jill St. John. Yeah. Because she shows that she's actually very intelligent. So, yay! Yeah, and then Murphy mentions that she, when Frank is so excited, that, come on, Frank, the woman made a fortune playing a nun in a push-up bra. Also a little bit of a reference to Sally Field. Mm-hmm. People saw as kind of a bubblegum-type actress because of Gidget and the Flying Nun before she mm-hmm. bursts out and people were like, oh, wait, she's really good. Well, and it's... So Jim's next line in this, do you mind if I read it? Please. So Jim says, I don't know, Murphy. At least there are two of us left who won't allow our journalistic integrity to be tarnished. I better get back to work before the network decides to give me a wacky sidekick. I love that. But a wacky sidekick. I love that line. I also wanted to be like, Jim, you already have wacky sidekicks. Sorry, buddy. But there is this constant conversation in this episode about integrity and mm-hmm. whether you have or lose your integrity based on your choices. And I think that ties into the assumption about Julia St. Martin, about everything you just said. Yeah. That, 
you know, what is integrity and who gets to decide that for you. Something also important before Jim leaves that Murphy says is that she doesn't think she can get any work done because Julia St. Martin will be around wetting her lips and flicking her hair, Mm -hmm. which we find out is not what she does. No. So after Jim's, you know, exit full of integrity... We find ourselves the next day in Murphy's office, and Jim is speaking. Uh, I wrote, actually, pontifying. Mm, very, very good word. Thank you. Past the pink flamingo that we see in the background, saying, and I said to him, Jack, this is an important speech for you. I've seen this wall affect everyone, east, west, even the Americans. And in a sense, we're all Berlinans. Of course, we were speaking German at the time. And we find out while he's speaking, as it's traveling slowly to the left, that there in Murphy's chair is not Murphy, but resplendent also, effectively another pink flamingo, posed in Murphy's chair, Mm. is Julia St. Martin. It's a great dress, too. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, But she is. She's sitting there. She's in this kind of like archback thing. Like, she looks like another pink flamingo in that room. It's the... That particular color scheme of the set and everything really intrigued me, especially once Murphy comes in and is not of that color aesthetic. Um, but we have here the resplendent Morgan Fairchild, who we've talked about in the past is essentially the 80s. <laughs> yes. You look under the 80s and you'll have a picture of Pepsi and mm-hmm. Morgan Fairchild. <laughs> Morgan Fairchild. She is, to put it lightly, perfect looking. I, she is absolutely stunning and y'all she's still kicking you gotta go find her on twitter at morg fair so m-o-r-g-f-a-i-r she is active as all get out she is an author she's a speaker she is involved in her politics she's an active liberal democrat who's out there tweeting all the time she literally just retweeted something from time about exercising no matter what age helps you live longer like she'll she'll post anything she thinks and it's awesome so fun fact she was born Patsy Ann McClenny, but her first acting job was as a double for Faye Dunaway during Bonnie and Clyde. Particularly in the scenes where Bonnie's supposed to be driving a car, Dunaway couldn't drive a stick shift, so Morgan was put in to drive for her. It looks like she got her first name from the David Warner film Morgan, A Suitable Case for Treatment. I thought it was very interesting. Her first regular primetime role was on a soap opera called Flamingo Road. Hey. So Morgan, definitely go find her IMDb, follow her on Twitter. She's in so many things. She's a true, like, Texas bombshell. She also is a really savvy businesswoman and ended up playing a lot of rich, savvy businesswomen, especially in soaps. She defines, like, a confident woman of the 80s who knows her worth. I, in particular, appreciate that in her in her latter years, she has dedicated herself to much bigger causes. She, has a, she does a lot of philanthropy work. She's a, an outspoken Democratic donor. She uses her Twitter platform. She calls out healthcare and humanitarian issues. She's not going anywhere anytime soon. She's a really cool chick. And I think in this episode, you see a lot of her true intelligence and savvy in the way she plays Julia St. Martin. She's more than a pretty face. I feel like a lot of people might know Heather Locklear, a little bit mm-hmm. more, and I feel like she's kind of in the same vein as Morgan Fairchild. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had forgotten that she was in Dallas because by the time I watched yeah. Dallas as a young kid, she was pl- her character was played by somebody else. But yep. I always sort of imagine her in a fur and a fabulous outfit and lots of eyeshadow. Yeah, and she's just got this... I mean, something that she says later in the episode about Murphy is this presence on screen, and Morgan has that. Yeah. She just... She fills up a screen, and she has this 
this really unique ability to look like somebody that you're going to easily underestimate. And then she opens her mouth and you can tell she's incredibly intelligent and knows what she's doing. And she's funny. She's so funny. I had forgotten that she was in Roseanne after this. She was on Sybil. Yeah, she's she's really funny. And she was nominated for this particular role for Best Guest Actor in a Comedy Series for the 1989-1990 season. And she was Chandler's mom on Friends, which I feel like most people will know her from nowadays. Um, I also just saw that she just did a 2017 run on Days of Our Lives. Oh, cool. So she's back keeping those soaps alive. Mm-hmm. So get it, Morgan. Uh, <laughs> so we see Morgan sitting in the chair being being wooed by by Jim and his many pursuits. And you look if you look through the windows of the office, you can see everybody in the office is just crowding around yeah, to look great. at her. It's such a great just the atmosphere of what's happening. And she says that, you know, it's so exciting to experience the man behind the icon that is Jim Dial, that there's a warmth and a passion to him. And Jim just has this look like, oh, somebody finally gets him. And he just says that he doesn't show that side to most people. You know, I played a Mary Townsman in my high school production of Brigadoon, which, of course, everybody who knows Charlie Kimbrough is like, of course you did, Charlie. Every time I think of Brigadoon, though, I think of uh, that line in um, Four Weddings and a Funeral. <laughs> yes. It's like, bloody Brigadoon. <laughs> bloody Brigadoon. Uh, anyway. So at that moment, uh, the door opens and we see Murphy shoving her way through the crowd to get to her office. By the way, I need that green FYI cap that she's wearing. Yeah, usually we see the blue one. I love the green one. Which Kelly wears later. But yeah, the green one, because it matches what she's wearing. I yes. really love the contrast because usually... Uh, you know, you would be expecting Murphy to be wearing something a little bit more like she usually wears. Like we mm-hmm. pointed out that this outfit, this sort of comfy hat and sweater and pants outfit is something that she would wear on a very specific day if she was hiding or maybe like a weekend. And I feel like they purposely put her in a contrasting outfit to Kelly, even though she, Murphy would not wear something that skin tight and that mm-hmm. sort of, uh, I want to say Barbie doll-esque in a way, yeah. just because of the yeah. way that it enhances Morgan's beautiful features. Mm-hmm. And I love that they they contrast them that way because of what happens later. Oh, with, yes. And with Kelly. And also, I mean, just that split screen of the two of them on either side of Jim and the desk is you have, I was about to say Kelly, but you have Morgan Fairchild as Julia St. Martin on the left on the same side as that pink flamingo and they are just popping out of all the colors of that office. And then the other side, you have Murphy who's in all of the colors of the office and almost gym like in the, in the jacket and the cap and very, they just look like complete opposites. And so it's very interesting later to see Julia as Murphy take her chair and act exactly like Murphy. It's, it's very interesting visually to look at Mm because they look so opposite. Oh, also the dartboard. We see the dartboard and it says, do not back up severe tire damage. Yes, finally. If we couldn't see it for so long. <laughs> and I was like, the dartboard's back. And of course, Julia's so excited to talk to her and um, she uh, admires her greatly. You know, the thing we normally hear people say to Murphy Brown. And she shares that they once shared a cover of the National Enquirer, that Julia was abducted by aliens and Murphy was having Bigfoot's baby. Which is the, it's behind Murphy. It's the, exactly. on the wall. We've seen that before. We've really great reference, that. guys. Call back. Right. And I love that it was that cover that they it's well done, team. And Jim is just delighted by this. He has this little ho, ho, ho. And he does this little wincy laugh like, oh, Jim is delighted by anything that Julia has to say. (laughs) However, Murphy would like to get her chair back. And Julia says, of course, she was just she was getting the feel of the office. It really helps an actor get into character. And Murphy is 
not interested. Uh, she's trying to construct a show. And Julia, which I notice is something that she does, which is a very specific choice. Every time she speaks to people, she puts her hand on their arm. And it makes them oh, feel very special. She's smart. She oh, knows she's so exactly smart. what she's doing. Oh, yeah. So she has her hand on on Jim's upper arm, and he is just a puddle for her. And she says that how much she loves Murphy's directness, that she just cuts right through it, that she needs to use that. And I wrote, she's touching Jim's arm, and he, in response, just non-verbally starts wringing his hands in joyous agreement. Did you <laughs> notice his body language, though, when he's right next to her? Oh, my God. I've never seen him slouch before. Right? He gets so little. I see this little like nerdy boy in high school yeah. and like the senior girl is talking to him and he just does not know what to do with himself. I've never not seen Jim stand up straight before. Oh, he just so completely cute. hunches towards her like a little sniveling. Oh, oh. he just, you know, star power. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, that's the thing too, right? I think that's something important, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's half the fact that she is gorgeous, mm-hmm. but I think it's also half the star power. This is yeah, a famous actress. Yeah. Yep. And it's that charisma we talked about. It's just, and it's such a great way of giving us, again, without talking about what a big deal she is, it's giving us the idea of, mm-hmm. of what a big deal. Like, because it's not just people talking about what she's done or, you know, saying like, oh, it's Julia St. Martin. It's the way they say her name. It's the way this, the supporting cast reacts to her let alone just what she does. But it's such an ensemble effort to give the gravitas of this star power. Yeah, particularly because right now it's mostly the men. Eventually, Mm -hmm. Quirky is going to come in and she's going to be just as excited. (laughs) Oh, is she? (laughs) But I think the first, you know, watch, you go, oh, it's just men ogling her. But I think Mm -hmm. it's half. I think it's half the men just being enamored of how gorgeous she is. And the other half is just fame. Yeah, well, and also what I love about even this dress and so on, it's, it is not skimpy. It is not, it is just, like we said, it shows off her beautiful figure and she looks great in that color and her hair is perfect. There's nothing really what somebody might consider undeserved attention or that she's trying to get negative attention or what some people may, you know, body shame as negative attention. They, she is a beautiful woman mm-hmm. and she she knows how to wear it the same way that Murphy Brown knows how to wear it and has worn it before. I, I love the costuming choices that they didn't go too far with it to give the wrong impression. She's a confident woman who knows that she's beautiful and isn't afraid to dress as much, but they're also not making her somebody who is using that as a weapon or, uh, again, in a way that would make people reconsider her integrity. Yeah, but I also think that it's purposely a very different style to Murphy. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. More but feels like sort of stereotypical actress as mm-hmm. opposed to Murphy's sort of more... I was going to say Catherine Hepburn, which, of course, is an actress. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a bad example. But uh, no, but it's a style. I just think that yeah. there is this very murky concept of what integrity actually means. Mm-hmm. And I could see people questioning her integrity if she'd been more scantily clad, especially at a, at a certain time. Again, I want to argue that uh, women can dress however they want and that mm-hmm. it means nothing about their worth. However, if we're, you know, dressing a stereotype, this one is particularly strong. Yes. So, anywho. Then we have another another entrance through the door, which is Miles saying knock-knock in a very <laughs> grandiose fashion, announcing that he brought the cafe au lait she wanted. He brought it up himself from the commissary. And she says, oh, I, I'm sure you have more important things to do. You didn't have to do that. And he goes, not really. And then... <laughs> Frank Indiana Jones Fontana arrives through the door. <laughs> the Temple of Doom is that way, Frank. That's my favorite part. I wrote that he looked like Indiana Jones as he walks in with his bomber jacket and his glasses and his hat down. 
And I wasn't sure they were going to go there with the line, but they confirmed to me, (laughs) which he says, well, hello, I'm sorry, I didn't know you had company, as he takes off his sunglasses. And to which Murphy says, oh, I can do it again? (laughs) I mean, the Temple of Doom is that way, Frank. (laughs) She does it more sort of a little differently. But anyway, I love that line so much. I say it with her every time she says it. It cracks me up. But what I also love about this entire scene is it is comedy built on character. These are the kind of jokes you cannot do in season one because they're really not jokes in the sense that if you didn't know the characters, if someone was just tuning in now and had never seen Murphy Brown, they might not find these jokes as funny. And I kind of love that. Not that I want people not to be able to watch Murphy Brown, but it's such a great example of character comedy and that we've established these characters over a season and now we can make these kind of jokes. It's a shorthand in a way. I I completely agree. However, I would say that beautiful woman is in the office. So a man dresses up as Indiana Jones is probably the, the broadest of character comedy. Yes. You you know, like that one you could get away with just because a man is excited and dressed like Indiana Jones. I agree. But it doesn't mean as much. This whole scene in general, I just feel. And I laugh more because I know Frank, just like how well, after- exactly that's you're going to laugh either way because it's funny, but it's a deeper pull if you know Frank, <laughs> particularly because of what the group does next when Frank introduces himself. Yes. Yeah, so Frank says, oh, well, let me introduce myself. Frank Fontana and the entire group interrupts him with investigative reporter, which feels a. <laughs> the first thing it made me think of is the. Um, 12 Days of Christmas with the Muppets when they all finally interrupt Miss Piggy on five golden rings, but um, bump bump because they're all so sick of her antics. And clearly this is Frank always pulls the same line. And again, you would not understand the humor of this if you didn't know the characters like that joke would not sell in the first season. And also I, um, I really think about later on when we find out how important having a leather jacket was for mm-hmm. him when he was a kid and mm-hmm. and how it just makes him feel it probably gives him the sense of confidence to come mm-hmm. in and oh yeah i mean he has an insecure little boy inside mm-hmm. and this is this is his his armor and he uh, just my heart also if i may say mm-hmm. julia she does seem quite tickled oh julia's <laughs> into it yeah she's not rolling her eyes at all but then again also she's there to charm everyone and i think mm-hmm. she knows that yeah but I, you know, Frank, Frank is hilarious, but also Frank does get the girls like it does work. So he, it's, he you know, he's not just, yeah, I know that bravado. It's not like Miles walked in dressed as Indiana Jones, like Frank walked in as Indiana Jones. And guess what? It does work. <laughs> she had a little swooning in her eyes there. Oh, yeah, you know? we all did. Like Vlad. Remember? Oh, yes. They don't swooning. know him. They don't know his no. neuroses. No, <laughs> it it works. So he says that, you know, his time is short. What with all the crime going on? (laughs) One of my favorite lines of this episode. But that he might be able to clear some time for a stakeout, to which a clearly jealous Miles says, oh, yeah, lots of opportunity for comedy at a cyanide dump. And then the bickering begins and the men just start going at each other, to which Murphy stops asking if she has to hose them all down. (laughs) And I love that Morgan's like, clearly used to this so just moving on to the next she's like she says she's going to go into that new era news area and see what's going on to which Maya goes we call it the bullpen and jim like in baseball <laughs> trying so hard to be part of it now there's a cut section here in the syndication where 
everyone leaves and Frank turns to Murphy and goes, did you see how she was looking at me? And Murphy goes, who wouldn't? (laughs) So the entire office, not just them in that office, but the entire bullpen basically follows her like this crowd of ducklings as she makes her way into the coffee area. And she turns around and is like, oh, everyone, no, please. I'm I'm here to observe. Just pretend like I'm not even here. You can see it's a pretty reluctant departure of most people back to their jobs. And as everything settles, Corky enters from the mysterious area off to the right. And she walks by, doesn't notice her, and then turns around, sees her, and screeches. Which my favorite thing is that Morgan Fairchild jumps back and smacks her head on the lamp. It's so good. It's so good. And it's, you know, probably missed by a lot of people, but it's just such good physical timing on her part. What's also great is that she kind of has to collect herself in a way to Mm -hmm. not not necessarily offend Corky, but <laughs> to get back into the good graces of charming mm-hmm. everybody. And there's just a very split second of her yes. kind of collecting herself and being, oh, hello, so nice to meet you. I really like that moment. It says a lot to Morgan Fairchild's work that you see the human inside who's like, oh, yep, I have to, you know, play my character. You know, it's this like, it's the same thing you see when like royalty goes out and has to have their face for the people. Like this is that celebrity that you see her used to like, oh, this is how I act around people who are excited. Yeah, but also I think, you know, as an actress that you got to sort of sometimes turn that on when you go to an audition, when you meet people. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just like, that's what you have to do. And the real her probably is overwhelmed and just trying to do her job and take her job seriously. And she, you know, has to be, and not just has to be, she wants to be gracious to the people who are excited to see her. Exactly. Julia is excited to meet her and um, pulls her out to the table and says uh, she would love to shadow Corky, you know, someone who's out there living it every day because Murphy's been a little standoffish to her. And we recently saw in the office and Murphy at this point has come out and is making herself some coffee, observing these two at the table and mutters the blonde leading the blonde to which I said, says the blonde. Uh, <laughs> That's Fran, right? That she says no, it to Murphy you? says it. No, Murphy says it to Fran. Oh, yeah. No, I'm pretty sure she does. But the yeah. fact that a blonde is saying that. Oh, yeah. Blonde, no, so just, just, like, just calling out the extras. I love that they yeah. have names. Yep. Yeah, no, I and I. Of course, love the the line about the play on the blind leading the blind. But I was like, says the blonde. Julia earnestly asked Corky, you know, do you have any advice for me? And like, what is like your top advice that you would give to me? To which Corky very seriously says, don't wear pleats. <laughs> Just Corky, I won't keep you any longer, but you have been so helpful. <laughs> There's that great sort of comic pause, though, before yep. she where she just takes it in and realizes this is not the person I want to talk to. But it's such a cool moment because mm-hmm. I think up to that point, the audience may have assumed that Corky was her type of person to talk to. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of our first moment of being like, oh, OK, a quote unquote serious actress, which, again, I have plenty of issues with that. But Corky takes off and, of course, is very gracious and says, if you need anything, I'm here. Julia mutters to Murphy, I should have put out that exercise video when I had the chance. Murphy kind of smirks and she says, come on, Murphy, throw me a bone. Murphy says, you know, I, I would help you, but right now I'm, I'm chasing a lead. Julia says, what is it? And Murphy says, you know, it might be too, too complicated, but Julia requests that she just tries her, tells her, you know, tell her what's going on. Murphy says, well, there's this Korea River Dam project and the senator sponsoring the bill stands to make a profit if the government purchases the land. It's essentially it's a vested interest story. It's what they call it in the media. To which Julia says, I knew there was something that wasn't right about that project. The Sierra Club said that a dam would that dam would devastate agriculture in three adjoining states as well as threaten the habitat of 23 migratory birds and 17 species of fish. And Jane Fonda told me I was paranoid. 
it's so well delivered and Candace's face watching her deliver this and seeing just the rolling intelligence that comes out. It's genius. Like, well done, Morgan. I 100% believe that this woman actually knows this information. And she has this great speech about, you know, woman to woman saying she's in her career. She has accepted any role that they've handled her, but this is her chance to choose. And what she chooses is to be a character, a woman like Murphy Brown. And of course, Murphy, Murphy's little ego is pretty excited about this. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and yeah. then she says, don't make me go to Maria Shriver. That woman married Conan. Remember everyone when Schwarzenegger was just known as Conan the Barbarian. So Murphy says, okay, you can watch for one day, but we have to keep it low key. Clearly Julia's not going to because she follows her into the office asking if they can get another desk in there. I love the way Morgan was with her hands too. Oh, she yeah. her hands. Maybe it's the nails, but she's very expressive with her hands. It fits she very is. much into the character. So really quickly... Let's go back to Craig. Mm-hmm. So Craig being in publicity, particularly at the beginning of Murphy Brown, actually witnessed this type of thing happening. Well, I shouldn't say witnessed. Uh, heard about this thing kind of happening in a way to Candace. Not exactly. Obviously, it's exaggerated for television. But I was fascinated by this. And I thought, oh, my God, why didn't I think about this to begin with? So you know, we left off. Diane asks Craig, if he has any ideas for episodes, and he has his idea in his back pocket. Right after Murphy was picked up, Candace went around to a lot of broadcast centers and spent time observing the newsroom, uh, particularly because Candace knew Don Hewitt through 60 Minutes. And he's in L.A., and his phone, he said he just lit up with people who he had previously worked with who were in the newsroom, who were, he said, quote, agog, and, quote, falling all over themselves over the fact that Candace Bergen was hanging out in the newsroom. Craig thought this was actually pretty comical, particularly because he, as, you know, seeing always the publicity angle, wanted to send a photographer over. And they said, absolutely not. We are the news division and not the entertainment division. And we have our credibility and integrity to protect. In fact, they forbid him from telling anyone they let Candace observe. (laughs) Jeez. So you can see where he got this idea from, which is Mm -hmm. all in the crux of this episode. So Diane listened to this whole pitch, and she said that she she liked the idea. And this is something that I love that he says. He goes, let me let me emphasize this. This is Craig talking. The busiest and hottest producer at the time in television with the biggest hit show had said she was going to take the time to work with me to help me craft a good spec script. It was then and still is the most generous thing I had ever heard. And I've been in the business for decades. So not mm-hmm. only did Diane said that she liked it, she said she was going to help him work on it. So he's still working in publicity. Diane calls him and says that she she told the room they love the idea. They're going to work on it, but he's going to write it first. He said that even though he'd read a lot of scripts, uh, having worked for the network, he still had no clue what to do. And he's writing a show for a show that he loved. And he said that he really got to know everybody. And they were like Mm -hmm. family. and, and, And so it was such a great environment. And CBS actually gave him the week off. When the show was tabled, which we've talked about is when they go, you know, line, line and sort of add you know, more jokes. He was in the mm-hmm. room. He was there during the rehearsals for the whole week with the rewrites uh, with people that he said he had gotten to know and admire uh, that Morgan Fairchild was perfect casting. And then eventually this helped him get an agent. Diane had him come back to write another episode, which we'll talk about. And that got him a job as a staff writer on Dream On which, if many people don't know, was one of HBO's first series. I used to watch it as a kid, even though it was highly inappropriate. There was a lot of nudity in it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think my parents were like, well, she is going to have breasts eventually. So 
Yeah, oh, my well. parents were like, you know, if she asks questions, we'll tell her. Yeah, my uh, <laughs> my brother couldn't watch it, though. And this was created by the Friends creators, uh, Marta Kaufman and David Crane. And it really mm-hmm. pushed his, his career to where it is today. And he goes, sorry for the length. This is for the email. It was very special for me professionally and personally. And it really shows you how wonderful a group of people there were behind making one of the great sitcoms. Mm-hmm. I love that story for so many reasons because of the generosity, but also because it is really meta. It's super meta. Far more meta than we realized. So speaking of meta, the next scene starts with a voiceover of Kelly going, I'm right behind you, Murphy, and Murphy going, I know. And we see Kelly dressed pretty much just like Murphy in the previous scene. Jacket, FYI hat, but the colors are more sort of bold, just like the pink dress. Purple, blue hat, but she's pretty much dressing just like Murphy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Murphy stops by the secretary desk, asks for her new secretary to call Senator Poré, to which he wraps his answer again. Uh, He is very efficient. with. He's excellent at the the clear wrapping. Yeah, I... I, He's really not that bad. It's just maybe the wrapping started to annoy her. Exactly. Like, he's actually an an effective secretary. (laughs) But I do want to know if he speaks to senators on the phone that way. Maybe. And I, I kind of wonder, is he practicing kind of like the, the actor secretary when she's playing all the different characters? Exactly. Or I really think, yeah, it had he been there longer, like there would have been a tape Yeah, <laughs> for he's, people to listen to. Uh, Murphy gets on the phone. Julie is just raptured with her notebook, living on every syllable. And it's great is that they particularly have Candace do a mannerisms that uh, Morgan can pick up. She flicks her pencil. We know how much Murphy loves her number two oh, yeah. soft pencils. Uh, she sits back in the chair. She gets this senator who doesn't seem to want to be interviewed because of what Murphy knows to agree to appear the next day in an interview. Kelly is just agog by this. Oh, yes. How amazing is is Murphy? And she wants to repeat this. But really sort of makes Murphy really awkward, which is funny that, like, she can't really seem to take seeing someone pretend to be her, but also how easy it is for her to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she's kind of, she's not, like, disgusted, but through this whole thing, she's kind of like, oh, this is, oh, wow, okay, you got this. This is a little weird, but I kind of like it, but I don't. I think well, it's okay, really interesting. So here's the thing, though. <laughs> it's it's clearly a humorous, you know, poke at actors' processes. Oh, yes. Uh, how we'll she get gets that. into it. And then she's actually very good. But I just want to make it very clear for those who don't know, that's not how sense memory works. It's not. No, no. I was going to get to that. <laughs> I, not, I don't not know sense why memory. they use that particular reference. but it's So just... pretty much what Jesse is alluding to is that <laughs> she needs to prepare first. And she does this sort of weird... Uh, uh, thing which I I'm not really sure how to describe here's the thing uh, as, a, as a performer I'm not offended by it in any way it's hilarious it's hilarious but it's just it it's it's just a total send up of a really overly indulgent actor processes yeah because <laughs> you know? it's not like she has to have a really emotional moment or something no. I, I wrote getting into character slash dying orgasm thing yes <laughs> Which, you know, is what many of us uh, spend our career trying to find. Oh, of course. Absolutely. (laughs) Of course. And uh, Murphy is more, seemed to be upset that she has to do the ring ring. What if someone walks in and notices? (laughs) I don't want to do it. So she points her and she very reluctantly goes ring ring. She uses Murphy's glasses, the pencil flick that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty, you know, spot on impression of Murphy. So much so that when Miles walks in halfway through, he goes, is it Murphy or is it Memorex? (laughs) 
<laughs> now, quickly, if people don't remember, uh, this is a slogan. It is a commercial ad slogan. Now, actually, this is based on a 70s commercial, not an 80s commercial, as I had originally thought, where Ella Fitzgerald is singing and breaks the glass. And then they have recorded her on this Memorex cassette tape and then play it back. And it's so good that it also breaks the glass. Mm -hmm. And then they play it again and they go, is it live or is it Memorex? Meaning this is how good the tape is that you don't know which is which because they both can break the glass. So that's something a little interesting to add in there. So Julia is just elated. She's finally bonded with the character. (laughs) I think I think it helps that there are actors, uh, former actors on the writing staff to sort of oh, make yeah, fun of get, all these sort of acting pro- processes. They know exactly what to send up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so she thanks Murphy so much. And Murphy seems pleased, but still a little uncomfortable again, as I mentioned. And then Julia has this amazing idea, which we will find out later is probably not something she thought of in the moment, but they couldn't mm-hmm. get someone else who will happen at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And again, this is why I feel like this is what she's good at. She knows how to charm and get people to do what she wants. And she's a good actor yeah she knows how to sort of stroke people's ego and this amazing idea that murphy should be in the pilot she should be in the premiere episode as she says Mm -hmm. but miles says they frown upon this you know reporters doing entertainment shows hence of what we talked about before Mm -hmm. integrity Uh, but kelly thinks uh, a new show needs all the help they can get and a big star like murphy brown would at least guarantee a 40 share now, what's great is that Murphy is sort of back in her chair and holding onto her glasses, and she's liking this, but pretending like she isn't. Oh, yeah. I love it. She goes, oh, Julia, I, I don't think it would be a 40 share. No, Julia. <laughs> she looks to the side. Oh, it's great. Call out to, speaking of Murphy in her chair, to her, like, wine-colored jacket with all the tortoise accents and her, like, necklace and her glasses. This is... Murphy looks fabulous. She looks she looks really great. Yeah. Yeah. But Miles points out that Murphy isn't an actress, but Julia feels that that Murphy has the most important thing, charisma. Oh, she's so good at this. Oh, she's so good. (laughs) That she's watched Murphy all week. And again, Murphy's ego is just getting boosted and boosted and boosted. Uh, Julia says that Murphy can really fill up a screen. Mm. That she would kill to have her presence. Uh, Murphy again feigns, oh, this means anything to her. Oh, you know, would I? Oh, I don't know. Julia assures her big time that this would get Miles at least 10 million new viewers to FYI and the cover of TV Guide. <laughs> Candace goes, TV Guide? <laughs> so, like, she's got her. That's it. Oh, yeah, she's yeah. in. The ego has been stroked. It's happening. But Miles doesn't get it yet. Doesn't get that Murphy's kind of liking this. Ugh, he's he's putting Murphy in a tough spot. He's going to have to be the bad guy, but he cannot endorse anything that would undermine her credibility as a journalist. He's going to have to say no. And then Murphy goes, Miles, don't be stodgy. If the entertainment division needs our help, how can we refuse? And then just smiles at him, mocking what he had told them before. Mm-hmm. Cut to. We are on the Kelly Green set. It is, I wrote... The color bumps of the typical 80s sitcom. There's like a geometric black and orange floor. It is, in a word, tacky. In (laughs) fact, it's funny you say that, because according to the Murphy Brown book, Diane's biggest note to the set designers was, make it tacky. Well, did they? (laughs) What I think is interesting, it it looks like a combo of the bullpen we know with the set, because it has screens with their show's logo like the set does. Mm-hmm. Now, their show is TJI. I don't 
really know. I I tried a bunch of different combos of what that could be. I thought the J might be for journalism, like today's journalistic integrity, or you know, like I have no idea. Is the I still information? I realize I don't know what TJS stands for. Uh, it's not TGIF. Nope. <laughs> Thank, Thank Jesus, God. it's Friday. <laughs> Thank God, it's the news is silent. <laughs> But it's a J. It's not a G. Oh, sorry. Oh, that's right. J. Sorry. I don't. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It's, I, it's funny. I didn't even think about what that could stand for. I should have come up with ideas. Well, if somebody knows, please tell us because I need to know. I tried so many combinations <laughs> and some of them are embarrassing. So I will not share them. So she's getting a walkthrough with the director of the episode, because, of course, Murphy is a, a high-end talent, so she's getting a personal walkthrough. Yes, and if I may add, mm. Jesse, there's a whole section before this that is cut. No. Yes, where Julia meets her and greets her, asks if she's nervous, mm-hmm. walks her over, introduces her to the director, who is extremely excited that he, as soon as he, it's so refreshing he heard oh. when Murphy Brown decided to do this because it means she has a sense of humor about herself. Oh. <laughs> Let's go. And that's when he brings her over. Got it. Yeah. So that the walkthrough is definitely leading straight from that because Julia's still with them before she gets sent off to her yeah. starting position at the desk at her office, uh, speaking to her secretary, who looks similar to female secretaries that we've seen Murphy have before. Also, the director has a little bit of a quirk that we may know. If anyone has ever seen pictures of Barnett Kelman, the director on set, the glasses, yes, are in a very unusual spot that has to be pulled straight from reality. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of on his head, kind of like on his forehead, they're like, like on his right brow above, bone. on his brow. It's totally and dressed a little bit like Barnett. Oh I yeah, have to say it's, it's definitely Barnett directing Barnett. Yeah, it's it's uh, awesome. Such a great little feature. Yeah, and it's it's just a fun little Easter egg for us. Mm-hmm. What I like about his energy, unlike Barnett is that he has a very uh, cliche director energy that is actually quite unlike most directors I've worked with, luckily. Mm-hmm. But there is this kind of um, sarcastic, insincere excitement to him and this kind of run-on energy where you're like, oh, I think you're actually the person who says terrible things about people at drinks as he's walking her through. Um, oh, sidebar, I do want to say both women's outfits are amazing. Oh, yes. Uh, Julia, as Kelly Green, is in this beautiful bright blue skirt suit and... Murphy is in this what would be just like a really nice fitted little black dress, but it has an additional sewn on like big red sash. It's fantastic. Oh, my Lord. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. It goes around her waist and then Mm -hmm. goes almost like a Girl Scout sash across her chest. It's stunning. But every time I see it, I always feel like you're a little too dressed up for this, Murphy. Exactly. I I think that's um, yeah, I think that's on purpose. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely, again, it's the send up um, and the making fun of herself because we know Murphy Brown wouldn't just walk in to visit someone dressed like this. Yeah. But what does the public think? Uh, now, the director, you know, informs her that they're filming the last scene of, of that episode, even though he says the show. And he's showing her, so you're going to enter on Kelly's last line from the elevator, air quotes, and they open the wall that is the elevator and somebody's in there still like dealing with some cables and Murphy just is like open mouth thrilled about the magic of of television. (laughs) And uh, he walks her down. He's like, and you'll stop here on your mark. And then he yells for the guy to actually come put the mark down. And he says, we'll freeze frame. Show's over. Series runs seven years. We run out of places to put all the Emmys. Okay. (laughs) Murphy, have you seen your line yet? (laughs) That was so great, Jesse. (laughs) Thank you. I loved his read. I was like, oh. Uh, He calls her babe. Yeah. 
And she doesn't say anything. Like, she's enamored by this whole thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's that perfect thing of just, like, you know, just breezing you through the fabulousness that is show business. Mm -hmm. Murphy says that she has seen the line, uh, and she has to tell him it's pretty funny. And he says, oh, can we put on a cue card for you? And she goes, actually, no, she's memorized it. You know, she's very good at memorizing. She often has to memorize pages of copy. And he goes, hey, what are we waiting for? And just walks away. (laughs) And she's using the Murphy Brown voice. You know, sometimes I I... I have to memorize memorize pages of copy. copy. I do it quite frequently, yes. And you really, I mean, the way she's selling it, I'm like, oh, she's highly competent. She's going to be great. Therefore, I know she's not going to be great Mm -hmm. (laughs) because the setup is too good. So we get to the first take and Murphy goes goes behind the elevator doors. Julia says her line is Kelly. Ding, the elevator opens and Murphy, now overtaken by a robot version of herself, walks straight down to her mark while looking for it stops at her mark as Kelly says, Murphy Brown. We love the way Morgan Fairchild says Murphy Brown in this moment. It's so fake. It's so fake. I love it. Murphy does not notice her when she says her name. She gets to her mark, then turns immediately on the spot and says robotically, I got your letter of apology, Kelly. Now I'm sorry. I filled your car with herring. And then... (laughs) Candace Bergen makes my day by turning dramatically at the camera and just grinning. She's so good in this whole episode. It's so funny. She's such a dunce. It is one of the funniest. Her turn and grin is so good. It's so hard when you're a great actor to play bad. Yes. And so it's so much more delicious to watch someone like Candace Bergen play bad, go on the stereotypes of, of a sitcom. You know, I mean... Even when, and I forget if we mentioned this at the beginning, when Candace Bergen was given the script for Murphy Brown, she thought, I don't want to do a sitcom. It's got uh, orange carpet and bad jokes. And then she read the script and went, this is amazing. So this is also sort of making fun of all the things and why Candace thought she shouldn't do a sitcom. Yeah. And it is, oh, it's so spot on. And it's just this like childlike joy that she did it, grinning at the camera. And so everyone kind of goes, Okay. And the director comes on. He's like, all right, well, now that we've got it once, let's just try it again. Let's just relax and have some fun with it. You know, this makes me think of that apparently, and I I heard this recently, so I have to go back and watch it, is that you can see Spencer Tracy always looking for his mark. Yeah. And also, uh, Bonnie Hunt tells a story that when she did her first movie, she didn't know what a mark was, but she was afraid to ask. And so she thought it was, on your mark, get set, go. So she like (laughs) ran into the scene. (laughs) I love Bonnie Hunt so much. I love her so much. There's a uh, fact, Uh, Bonnie, come on the show. It doesn't matter if you're on Murphy Brown. We'll just talk about comedy. That is the ultimate fake it till you make it moment. (laughs) Seriously. And finally, someone was like, do you not know what a mark is? And she's like, no. And he told her. But it was like a grip or something. (laughs) Oh, bless her heart. And what I love is that Murphy in the scene, she she is so open and just like, okay, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And so she just goes back. Like, Murphy is not picking up that this is not going well. And she's being such a, like, a She never does. She thinks that she's the best. It's so funny. She's like, okay. So she goes back and they just take it from her entrance. And she walks back down, does the exact same thing. But she emphasizes, sorry, this time. He comes over, he's like, you know what, actually, let's try it. And he gives her a little acting jargon. He's like, let's really try to punch car and herring. Because, you know, like with the timing. And she like shadow pump punches it with him, car and herring. She's like, of course, oh, that makes it so much funnier. Thanks for the tip. And she heads back. She's like, car, herring. And as they're closing the elevator, she's like shadow boxing in the back. Car, herring, car, herring. So she comes down. She doesn't look at the mark this time. She actually comes in very, a lot better, a lot more natural. 
However, because she's not looking at her mark and she's actually reacting to Kelly Green, she misses her mark. And so Morgan Fairchild has to actually grab her by the elbows and pull her to her mark. So she's in line. And then she starts to say it in a pretty playful note, but she literally brighter and actually punches those words in the air. Very proud of herself. They cut. They're going to reset again. And she says to Julia, you know, this is a lot harder than I thought. You miss, you hit your mark every time and you seem so natural. Like she doesn't, she has newfound respect for her and her abilities. And Julia's very sweet. She says, you know what? You know, just think of all those conversations we've had this whole week. Just think of this as another one of those conversations. You'll be great. We'll, we'll let's do it again. Murphy heads back, gets shut into her, her fake elevator and Morgan Fairchild in that amazing kind of like raspy alto voice and delivery that she has just goes, the woman is a redwood and walks so off good. to her spot. So we cut to the townhouse. We don't know how long later <laughs> because it's the premiere of the episode on television. Mm-hmm. Who knows? <laughs> who knows when? Months later, weeks later. We have no idea. My favorite is who knows how long Murphy has been living in this delusion. <laughs> yeah. So Eldon welcomes everybody. I love that it's obviously like a big deal. Eldon's wearing his gold jacket, which he wears on a very important holidays. Mm-hmm. I think New Year's eventually he wears it. So this is this is a big deal. The last one in is Corky, who smiles very sweetly, I have to say. Uh, she's not weirded out by him as much now, although she will be a little bit later. Yep. And Eldon puts on the charm, you know, we meet again. And Corky calls him Alvin. He corrects her, but he says he could be Elvin if she wants. This is one of those moments where, like, it's he's not being creepy. It's just so sweet how enamored yeah. he is. He's, he's really trying. And, and he's trying so hard. Corky asks for everyone to wait for her, so she, you know, runs in. Murphy's asking everyone, establishing, hey, you excited to see the premiere of Kelly Green? Frank was hoping that Julia would be there. He felt they're really bonding near the end there. Mm. Uh, Miles tells him to face it. Right now she's in a hot tub with Emilio Estevez. <laughs> Yeah, 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 probably. So the show's about to start and they they bop along to the music, which is super cute. And then we cut to the end of the episode and we hear Murphy from the scene that we previously saw her film. And by the looks on everyone's faces, we can tell that this was not a good episode of television. It didn't go well. No, no, not well at all. Murphy is mouthing along with her words and laughing. And when it's over, Eldon says this is why he doesn't own a television. Corky looks sick. Yeah, she just looks like did not enjoy this. No, but and she doesn't know what to say, but she knows it's bad. It's she just look Corky particularly looks quite sick. Uh, Jim is quite annoyed. Do you want to? I have it, but do you want to say what Jim says? Yes, Jim's response to what he just saw was, "I've braved three wars and eight administrations so I could see myself become a comic tour de force for Peter Graves." So great, and that's great casting. I could see Peter Graves as as a Jim, one hundred percent. Murphy knows it's a little contrived, but it had its moments. She's trying to get them to give her compliments, like the scene at the end. What I love is that she mouths along with her last line. Oh, it's so great. It's so great. She is all in on this. I love it. She goes, did you see the way I punched the joke? That's an acting term, punching the joke. She like, <laughs> like her head just goes like forward. It's amazing. <laughs> and no one wants to say anything. I love, I don't know if you noticed it. I didn't notice it until the second time that Grant literally, because he was eating a cookie the whole time. Everyone looks away. They don't want to, you know, give her uh, an answer because they know how bad it is. Some people look at their watches or off in the distance and he just kind of dusts some cookie crumbs from <laughs> under his seat like right in front it's of him so it's so subtle it's very subtle and she goes come on guys what did you think of me and then miles notices the time and they all leave bless <laughs> they can't it was bad so we're in the bullpen i assume the next day yeah 
Yeah. So every, we, we see the bullpen and it's all the, the extras and some of our named extras gossiping clearly in the bullpen. And then the elevator door opens and Murphy Brown enters in sunglasses and everyone immediately dissipates. So I'm like, we all know what they were talking about. She heads straight to the secretary and I'm not going to do it because it's not going to be as funny for me rapping as it was at the time for, uh, for Murphy Brown. But essentially she fires the man through rap. And he has nothing to say to that. <laughs> My favorite part is that she bops away with her final line of, I said, fired, fired, and still rocking out to herself at the coffee station. Yeah, and the audience goes crazy. Oh, crazy, because she does it very well. So Miles meets her at the coffee station, and he has the ratings for her show. Not my show, Miles. Kelly Green placed a distant fifth in the ratings behind the other two networks, Fox, and a superstation broadcast of The Incredible Mr. Limpet. Which, for anybody who doesn't know, The Incredible Mr. Limpet was <laughs> a feature film from Warner Brothers. It was live action and animated, in which um, a man turns into a fish and helps the U.S. Navy locate and destroy Nazi submarines. A tour de force for Don Knotts. Oh, yeah. Tour de force <laughs> for Don Knotts. Also, I found out, which now I'm kind of sad didn't happen, in 98, they were going to make a live action remake with Jim Carrey. They were, yeah. Which I would 100% watch. So anyway, that beat Kelly Green. And he said, had you listened to me, you wouldn't be suffering through this humiliation. The great I told you so. She said, what? She tried to have fun. The American people aren't discussing her performance. Okay, they are. But next week, they'll spot Elvis at a 7-Eleven and this will all be forgotten. At that moment, the elevator dings and Connie Chung enters. Lauren, would you like to remind everyone just the impact of Connie Chung? I would like to talk about the impact <laughs> of Connie Chung walking to the center stage and hitting her mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very, Very well, well by we the might way. add. Yeah. So for those of you who are not familiar with Connie Chung, at the time, she was a big female newscaster. So she would be at the same caliber as Murphy. She's considered mm-hmm. a trailblazer as a woman and as an Asian American. Although interesting enough, in a recent interview uh, that I listened to from NPR, she would rather just be called Chinese. She doesn't like to be called Asian American, which is interesting. We don't have time to go into that. But I just because that's how she likes to be referred to. I want to make a note of that. Yeah, yeah. She likes it because she feels that her parents, who are Chinese, in fact, her father was a diplomat, and she was born here, where she is the 10th of 10 children who were all born in China. Jeez. Now, in a previous episode, Anchors Away, there is a joke about how Murphy thinks it's not a big deal that CBS took Connie Chung from NBC. Because this had just happened in 1989, and and we mentioned actually it was sort of a big deal because she had worked for CBS and then had gone to NBC and become kind of a big star. So when her contract was up in 89 to woo her back, it was a really big deal. And she started a show called Face to Face with Connie Chung. Unfortunately, though, the critics felt that it was a little too much of a mix of news and entertainment, which we've talked about before. But something else that Connie actually got flack for, which I think is interesting to bring up, was that she made it known that she felt it was very hard to balance her life and try to conceive a child. She had had some miscarriage issues, and obviously she was over 40. She was 44 at the time, and it was harder to conceive. And then very shortly after she was wooed over to CBS in 1990, she decided to give up face-to-face to focus more on having children. And at the time, she was made fun of, and she got a lot of flack for it, which is really horrible. I didn't realize that. I remember it was a big deal in the press, but just an example of that happening to her as a woman. And then in 1993, she became the second woman and the first Asian American to co-host the Nightly News with Dan Rather. I mean, that was a really, really big deal. And she 
also was the second woman to do so after Barbara Walters with ABC in 1976, which I think we have previously spoken about. And I should correct and say weekday news because she had previously anchored the CBS Sunday evening news from 1989 to 93. And then eventually in 1995, she and her husband, Maury Povich, if people don't realize she's married and has been for many years to Maury Povich, Mm -hmm. adopted their son, Matthew. Now, which we'll eventually get to in season two, at the very end of season two, Diane English has said that she felt in a small way that Murphy Brown and Jerry Gold were sort of like Maury Povich and Connie Chung. And she joked, what do they talk about at night? Mm-hmm. She did leave co-hosting the news. Now, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, some say that the Dan Rather didn't like sharing it. Connie herself had said that it felt like patty cake, you know, going back and forth, that it's really meant to be done by one person, but she does not regret it at all. So she is and became a really influential woman, and particularly at this time was at the same stature as Murphy. So this is important to know that when Connie Chung walks in, it is the same equivalent as Murphy Brown walking into Kelly Green. Again, the meta nature of this episode works and not all meta episodes for shows really do. But this one just layered them so well. It's such a great like final bumper this moment. It's just it's brilliant. So Connie comes in and Murphy asks what she's doing and uh, she didn't realize she was around. She says, oh, she's just here for some bureau meetings. She wants to know if she can be honest with Murphy. She said, and Connie proceeds to tell Murphy that it's wrong for a journalist of her stature to be on a sitcom. Once you cross that line, you undermine all your credibility. I feel so strongly about that. And honestly, Connie Chung is so good in this moment. (laughs) She's so earnest. Murphy says, you know, that's awfully noble and righteous of you. Had network people come begging to you and offering you something new and intriguing? Something tells Murphy that Connie would have been singing a different tune. She bets she knows exactly what Connie would have told them. And Connie said, exactly what I did tell them. No, thanks. And mic drop for Connie Chung as she walks out. It's so good. So good. Now, apparently, to fit Connie's schedule, they had to film this on a Thursday night instead of a Friday night. She's worth it. Yeah. Which is interesting. You'd think maybe they would just film her scene early. But I guess they wanted yeah. maybe the the excitement of the crowd. Who knows? But also in the, the Murph Brown book talks about that is a testament to everyone that they had to do the show in less days, which is amazing, which I got to see with the revival. They would actually take holidays off and then have to do an episode in less days. And it was amazing how they, they still pulled it off just as well. Yeah. But it's a hard thing to do. Um, so real quickly, we also just want to acknowledge the really talented actor who played the rapping secretary, uh, Keith Amos. Unfortunately, died. Uh, we just wanted to honor his uh, his memory. He actually passed away not long after uh, he was on Murphy Brown. He died in 1998 from chronic asthma, and he was 30 years old. It, what's really lovely is not, you know, not everyone gets acknowledged by, by the industry uh, when they pass, but there's actually a lovely post on Variety that we will link to honoring his, um, his career and his memory. When he when he did pass, yeah, and he was on Family Ties and mm-hmm. General um, Hospital, um, yeah, a bunch of things uh, from uh, the '80s and '90s that you may remember. He w- had a pretty well known Got Milk commercial, so we just want to make sure that we um, honored his his memory because that is that's a pretty tragic loss for the for the industry and his family. Yeah, I was I was so uh, sad when I found that. I didn't mm-hmm. realize it until we did this episode. Mm-hmm. So, uh, on that note, are you following <laughs> us on social media? 
You should. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Murphy Brown Pod. If you want to shoot us an email, it's murphybrownpod at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. If you know what TJI stood for, please email us. Yes, we're definitely going to put that as a question <laughs> on the social media. Give us your suggestions for the name. Yes, please. Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown. I really think we need to make that our warm up now. Murphy Brown. Brown. Like when we do like a live show, we just in the back. Of, Murphy, Murphy Brown. Murphy, Murphy Brown. Brown. It uses my whole range. The Morgan Fairchild warm up. <laughs> Thank you, Morgan. And we'll see you soon for another edition of FYI. The Murphy Brown podcast. Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown.